morning, VG. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is David. If I don't know you, I'm, I'm part of the team here at VG. And we have been in the midst of this great summer series and schools of right around the corner. And perspective affects a lot about your life, right? How you walk through something depends a lot on the perspective that you have. I came across this earlier uh, this week. Pretty amazing, right? I should have warned you if you're like scared of heights, don't watch this video. Like Will Watson, wherever you are, don't watch this. This is an incredible perspective, right? This eagle flying 10,000 feet, I don't know how high he is, high above the mountains. Maybe there's like a guy on his back or something. I don't know how they got this video. This is an amazing perspective, right? And I think what this series is all about is that it's really about perspective in our lives. The title of this series is The Most Important Thing About You. It comes from this A.W. Tozer quote um, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, where he says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Interesting quote, right? What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think what he's getting at is that what you think about when you think about God will determine everything about your life, right? It'll determine where you spend your time, where you spend your talent and your treasure. It'll determine your values and your priority in your life. And so we're taking this summer just to think about how we think about God. Because the perspective that we have when we think about God, when we think about what God thinks about us, will determine everything about our lives. And we're walking through these EFCA statements of faith. We're part of the EFCA. It's this connection of churches. And last week, Will talked with us about what or who Jesus is. And this morning, we're talking about what has Jesus done. And the EFCA says this about the work of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. So this series, the EFCA statements, we're kind of looking at these pillars in our faith, which are important because they affect the perspective that we have. It's important that we think rightly about who Christ is and what Christ has done. Because how we understand the person of Christ, how we understand what he has done, will now determine the perspective that we live with. It'll affect everything about our lives. I was looking up some different things about eagles after I'd seen that video this last week. And did you know that an eagle can see things 20 feet away that we can only see from five feet away? So like the way that we see something from five feet away, they see that from 20 feet in the same way, that close up. An eagle can see a rabbit two miles away. It's gotta be terrible to be a rabbit if you're like by where eagles live, two miles away. And when an eagle dives, it goes 125 miles per hour. Is that not pretty amazing? So what would it be in our lives if we had a different perspective that affected everything about our life? This is my big idea for us this morning that the cross changes our perspective. It says this, the cross deals with our sin and reconciles us to God, which means we are new creations in Christ. Now with a new perspective, we live out of the overflow of his spirit on a mission to reach the world with the gospel. The reality of your life is that there's so many obstacles that Satan's throwing at you right now. Obstacles that you've already endured this morning. Things happening in your family, things things happening in your work life, Things that are going to happen at school coming up in the next few days. And the question is, what perspective are we going to have about those things? How do we walk with those things? Will you pray with me as we dive into the text? God, thank you for your word to us this morning. 
Jesus, thank you that you are with us here in this room. Help us just to be um, aware of that. Help us just to have eyes to see what you are doing and the ways that you are working, the ways that you want to move in our lives. And may we just respond to that this morning. God, the battle of good and evil is so real, so real in our own hearts, so real in our own lives and in our world. And so Jesus, we just ask that you would help us see it like you do that our perspective would be changed and therefore our lives would be changed as well. We love you and pray this all in your name. Amen. We're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 is where we'll start. And Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. He's talking about a perspective change that happens in our life. And since there's a therefore right at the beginning of the text. And from now on, what is Paul talking about? Well, go back a couple of verses here into verse 14. And he says this, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Think about that. The love of Christ controls us. Paul's talking about there's now this new thing that is controlling your life. There's this new thing guiding you and it is the love of Christ now that's leading you and guiding you. And because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He's saying this, because you have this new perspective, the love of Christ now controls you in your life. What's the thing that guides our lives as we follow Jesus? It's now the love of Christ. Paul's not talking about He's not saying that there's now this new theological statements that we subscribe to or that you just prayed the sinner's prayer. We often think about salvation in that way, but he's saying, no, what salvation is is that there's this new love that guides you. There's this new love that now controls you in your life. And because of this new love that's in your life, because you have concluded this, now we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Something fundamental has changed in our hearts. Something significant is now different in our lives that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. He's talking about the throne of our hearts here. A few months ago when Daisy was talking about the different throne rooms and we were in Revelation talking about the throne rooms of God and he was talking about the different thrones like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, these different types of thrones. The question is, what does our throne of our own heart look like? What is the throne of our heart like? And there's all these different things clamoring for our attention and trying to get us to give it the throne of your heart. I don't know about you, but this is often what my throne of my heart looks like. I just want this to be the throne of my heart. I just want to live in like a massage chair 24-7. And I'm completely in control. I actually have a remote in my hand that I can pick the exact spots I want the massage on my back. But we live in a world and in a culture that's telling you Be on the throne of your own heart. Put comfort on the throne of your own heart. Serve it at all costs, no matter what. Do whatever you can to serve and be comfortable. But Paul is talking here is that there's a new person that sits on the throne of our hearts. And because of this, because of the love of Christ that now controls us, the love of Christ that now guides us, now we regard no one according to the flesh. He's talking about an eagle vision for your life, a different perspective that you have, a change in perspective. We handed these glasses out at the beginning of our John series about a year and a half, two years ago, if you remember these. And we talked about what would it be like just to have a completely different perspective as you lived your life? 
What would it be like to have a completely different vision for your life, a kingdom vision where you regard no one according to the flesh? Paul's saying we regard no one according to a worldly point of view. Now, everyone, every relationship we see as a kingdom moment. We see every person in our life now in a different perspective, now in light of the kingdom of God. See, Satan's just gonna try and distract you with so many different things. Netflix, about a hundred different streaming services now, right? You can't even keep up. So many different things. Social media, our phones often. Pressure at work or anxieties and fears. And he's going to try and consume your life in these things. And Paul's saying we have a different perspective in our life. What would it be like just to live all of your life with a kingdom perspective? A different perspective about the people that you're around when you walk into a coffee shop What would it be like just to have a kingdom perspective, just to look around at those people and even just to start praying for them? God, be with that person. I don't know who they are, but be with them. Oh, there's a young mom who can barely get her iced coffee. Oh, that's David's wife, Kelsey. She's taking care of three kids right now. (laughs) Maybe help her out if you see her. (laughs) Oh man, that person, their, their demeanor is down. I wonder what's going on in their life. Let me just pray for them. Think about how that would change even just those relationships that you have. Maybe that annoying coworker that you have. I have a lot of those here at VG, okay? What would it be like just maybe that coworker, that relationship, maybe God's intentionally placed you there for a reason, but only if you have a kingdom perspective, is that relationship gonna look different? Is it gonna feel different? If it's gonna be different? Maybe the teacher that you have at school this fall or that kid who keeps picking on your kid and you're mad about it and you're angry about it. What does a kingdom perspective say about those relationships? Because the incredible thing is that God is moving and he's working in our lives in so many ways that we don't see. And see, we're not here this morning to try and get more of God into our lives. We're here this morning to become more about what God is already doing for us to become a part more of God's life that's already happening. He's already working in your life. He's already killing soil. He's already putting different pieces in play. And the question is just, God, what are you inviting me into? Those stickers are on your seat. We're handing those out this morning. As we enter into this fall season, take that, put that somewhere. Just to continue to ask that question, God, what are you inviting me into? What are you already doing? See, that question is asking a kingdom question. It's asking a question of the kingdom of God, of like, God, you are already at work. You're already moving. Let me just be a part of what you are doing. How does that change the way you see your life? A moment in a coffee shop, a moment with a neighbor or a coworker, someone at school that have a kingdom perspective about it. I had a friend who, that we were down in LA and we were talking about this shift. We're talking about the shift between living in the kingdom of God and seeing every single person as a kingdom moment, a kingdom opportunity. And he was telling me how recently he had gone to Disneyland and he took their two little girls to Disneyland and they'd stay there all day. And they got to the point where there was the fireworks about to go over the uh, Disneyland castle. And when the fireworks went off, he just turned around and he looked out at the crowd. And he just looked at the crowd because he wanted to see the faces of people made in the image of God. See, that's a kingdom perspective. As everyone's in awe of like dynamite exploding in the sky, to turn around and say, God, these are people made in your image, made by you, for you, for your glory. Just was praying for them, just watching their faces. What would it be like in your life to have a kingdom perspective about your relationships, about the ways God might be moving, the ways that he might be working? 
Because this is the incredible thing in verse 17 about the reality of who you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? So we could just end church right there and just say, hey, repeat that to yourself all day this week. Your week will be different. This is an amazing proclamation from Paul. That this is the reality of who we are in Christ. That to be in Christ means that the things that Christ did while he was alive, his righteousness now covers us. See, Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you. He did the things that you could not do. The sin that's in my heart right now, the sin that has been in our hearts this morning, Jesus lived a perfect life to accomplish obedience for the Father, for you. And so Christ lived for you, he died for you, he resurrected for you, and he ascended for you, that he sits on the throne right now in this moment. He is king. And so when Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he means that Christ's righteousness just covers you. It's like just walking around with this blanket over you all day long. Every single day this week, that is Christ's righteousness. He just covers you because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin from this morning. He doesn't see your sin from this last week or this last year or five years ago, 10 years ago. He looks at you and he sees Christ's righteousness that covers you completely. Church, how would our lives be different if we got that? If you lived into that identity, that your identity, who you are as a person is not dependent on what you have done, but everything about what Christ has done. You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are a new creation that you are in Christ. Now Christ is in you. He has made you new. And so all the old stuff, the old brokenness, the old death, the separation from God, that's no longer true about you. That Jesus is now working in you. His spirit is now living in you and he's making you new in him every single day. And that, that hits in the places where a lot of times we're afraid to tell anybody else the places that are darkest in our lives or the places that are secret. It hits my pride and my arrogance, my selfishness, my greed. Those are the places where Jesus comes and he says, David, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you into something brand new. You are in me now. And so I am in you and I'm making you new. See, Jesus doesn't want to leave us just where we are. It's not about just believing in him as some sort of sinner's prayer that you pray. Salvation is now this new experience with Jesus where the love of Christ controls you, where you have this new perspective that you are now new in Christ. But it's nothing that we do on our own. It's nothing that we do on our own. That's why we wear these shirts, desperate and dependent. I'm really good at screwing up my own life. Amen. My wife knows that too. I'm really good at making bad decisions, at being greedy, at being selfish, at sitting on the throne of my massage chair. And Jesus said, I'm going to come, I'm going to take that old, and I'm going to make it new. And it brings new life. That all have died now with Christ so that no one will ever die again. That no one will ever die again. Behold, the new has come. But it's not something we do on our own. You're not desperately dependent by your own willpower. I'm desperate, I'm dependent, I'm desperate, I'm dependent. No, it's just surrendering. Saying, Jesus, I'm broken. 
I'm weak, I can't do this on your own. I can't become a new person on my own, but Jesus in you turns you into something new. Dallas Willard has this quote that I love, and he says, the Christian life is neither passive or active, it's interactive. It's neither active or passive. It's not just you trying to willpower yourself to it, and it's not you just doing nothing at all, because the only thing you can do is say, I can't do nothing. The only thing you can do is say, Jesus, I need you. I'm weak, I'm desperate, independent, and then the spirit wants to do something there. That's why when we talk about this joy in Jesus stuff, it's not something you can get to on your own. It's something now that Jesus is going to do in you. It's something that he's going to move, that he's going to work in your life, that he's going to fill you with his joy as you surrender to him. See, because what Jesus wants to do is not just leave you in the same spot. He wants to actually bring you joy because he is joy. He wants to actually bring you new life that only comes from him. He actually wants to set you free from the sinful nature. See, we think about freedom in our culture as being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. I'm free if I can just do whatever I want, whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it. And that's not freedom. Paul calls that bondage to the sinful nature. And Jesus wants to come and set you free from that, set you free from the sinful nature to live into new life in Jesus. Augustine has this quote. I think what he's talking about here is Jesus transforming your heart to where you actually desire him more than anything else. And he writes, thou has made us for thyself. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, when you are being changed by Christ, when he is making you into a new creation, not following Jesus is actually harder than following him. That's the point of transformation that Jesus wants to take you to where you're living just out of the overflow because it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your ability. It doesn't depend on your effort. It doesn't depend on our ability to become new people on our own. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. He's making us into something new. But I think so often we're just so distracted. We're just so distracted by the so many different things spinning around us that we don't even take a moment just to stop and to be with God, to be with his spirit, who's the only one that can change us. I was talking with a life group leader this last week, and he, he said this thing. He's like, you know, I think what happens is we just, we get so focused on the doing part. We forget the being part. That when we go try and do, we can't actually do it because we haven't been with God first. So we have to just be with God, be with his spirit first, and he fills us up. He changes us. He transforms us. He makes us into something new so that then we can go do what he's inviting us into. But it's not moralism. It's not a task. It's not a bar to jump over. It just comes from being with Jesus. This last week, I went out with Jason and with Jake. We went paddleboarding. It was just this moment where we weren't trying to accomplish anything. And it was so good for my soul because I went and I just stopped. And once we got out there, we were in the water and we jumped in the water and it was freezing cold. And it was just this moment to be with Jesus, to recognize, God, you are God. I'm not. Let me not try and get anything done right now. Let me not try to accomplish anything. Let me just be with you. And so where are the moments and places you're just being with God right now without any agenda of doing? Where's the places where you can meet him as he makes you new, not by your your own effort, not by your own willpower, not by anything you can do on your own, but just being with Jesus, showing up and just being with him. Places where his spirit will meet you and change you and 
transform you. And Paul continues. He says, all of this is from God. You're desperate and dependent. You're really good at screwing up your own life. But all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Paul tells us now, this is what your job is. This is now what your role is, is you're just a minister of reconciliation. Everywhere you go, whether you're a doctor or a dentist, an accountant, a teacher this fall, you go there just as a minister of reconciliation. You go there just being somebody that comes in between, people who are far from God, who so desperately want Jesus, but are looking for him in all of the wrong places. And you just come in, you stand in that gap between them. That's what proxy means. We sell our proxy coffee. It means to come and stand in the gap. It's talking about verses like this, where you come in and you're just a minister of reconciliation. You come in between somebody who's far from God and God and say, let's bridge this gap. But that's not something you can do on your own. And that's not something that is quick and easy, right? That's something that takes time. See, a lot of people are far from God because they're hurt. A lot of people are far from God because they're angry. And a lot of people think God just wants them to go to church, that God just wants things from them. And so now we are sent by God to be these ministers of reconciliation. But that's something that takes time. That's something that takes breaking down defenses. It takes building trust with people to where they understand that God wants something for them, not from them. And so who are the people, as you think about your lives, as you think about putting on a new perspective, having an eagle vision in your life, where are places that God's just been already tilling the soil in your life? People that you're around, relationships that you're around, that he is inviting you just to be in that spot as a minister of reconciliation. Because in verse 19, it continues, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, that is what now God has invited us to do, called us to do, to stand in there and be ministers of reconciliation, but it's not something we can do by ourselves. It's not something that you can do on your own. So many times we read these verses and we just think about them independently. It's something that you can only do with one another, that God has sent all of us out together to be ministers of reconciliation in EDH, in Folsom, in Sacramento, in Placerville, up the hill. That's the, the, the plan that God has is that he would send out all these little mini pictures of Jesus all throughout our cities to be ministers of reconciliation, but the thing is we can't do it by ourselves. A couple years ago, um, my dad and I decided that we were gonna run in the LA Marathon. And we decided, hey, you know, it always sounds like a great idea at the time to sign up for a marathon, right? You're like, I gotta get in shape, great, I'm gonna sign up for a marathon. So. We start training for this marathon, and uh, you know, training is a little bit harder than you would think that it would go. And about halfway through, I start kind of like not getting my runs in, and we had just had a had a kid and started to get busy, and so the marathon's coming up, and my wife Kelsey's like, "Are you still going to run this marathon that you and your dad signed up for?" I'm like, "Well, I think we'll just go out there and walk, and I think we'll just kind of have a good time." And she's like, "Yeah, only an idiot would try to run a marathon that they didn't train for." Okay. 
I appreciate my wife greatly in my life. She says things like that that I need to hear. So race day comes, and you know, my dad and I, like, we're like, okay, this is great. Let's just like have a good time. And we start running, and it's great for like mile one, okay? We're going and we're just running, but then suddenly, like, we're just both going. And we're like, we're running, and you, you, you make it to mile five, you make it to mile 10, and you know, you, neither person wants to be the one to say, hey, can we like stop and take a break, you know? So you just keep going, and then I'm like, he like kind of like jacks up his knee at like mile 12, but I'm not gonna stop for a break, and I'm not gonna say something, and we just end up running this whole marathon together. His knee like still hurts like years later. For, but here's what happened is that it was because we were in it together. It was because there was this energy, there was this strength that was found being with one another that we could keep going the whole length of the marathon. And Paul's saying, you are ministers of reconciliation. And the first place that that starts is here in this room with one another. That we are ministers of reconciliation to each other and with one another, encouraging one another, encouraging each other to press on through the difficulty, through the obstacles, through the distractions that we desperately and dependently need each other. Man, yesterday we were here and we were celebrating the, the life of Tim Cockrell and it was just this amazing moment to come together and remember Tim and talk just about the impact that his life still has and will continue to have in so many different places. And I was talking to Jen and it was like, we were talking about, man, it feels like Tim is just gonna come walking up any moment. And he's gonna be like, hey, what are you guys doing in here? And we're like, well, we're just talking about Jesus and we're talking about Jesus in you. And that's what Tim would have wanted because he communicated to people that it was all about Christ. And what Tim did so well is he just invited people to the table. He just invited people to come and be together. That's how he impacted my own life through just playing bags of cornhole, coming and having a drink or coming and having some food. And you're just inviting people into a moment where you can build a relationship with them. And in those moments, in those places, God does something. See, Tim just lived his life as a minister of reconciliation to other people. That's what God's calling us to do with one another. Satan is trying to move against you in your life in so many different ways. He's trying to move against us as a community in so many different ways. And the only way we make it is if we're running that marathon together. If we're doing that with one another, we're reconciling each other, how's it going? How's it going with Jesus? That's what happened in that moment with Jason and Jake. Since we got into that spot and we were able just to be with God, we remembered in kind of the really cold water of Lake Natoma, that'll wake you up. Who's God? Who's God? Who are we? And then how are, you, how are you? How's he moving in your life? So who are people that you're with right now that can ask you that question? Who can help reconcile you back to God because it starts there with one another first. And then Paul continues in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. So we take on this new perspective. We experience this transformation that happens as we're made new in Jesus. And now all of life is just reconciling people back to him. And Paul says, because of all of that, because of what Christ has done on the cross, that he has earned salvation for you, he's lived for you, your identity now is that there's no condemnation in him, that you are deeply loved by him in the places that are darkest in your life. His light shines the brightest through. You're loved by him. He stands in between you and the Father as an advocate for you. He's washed your sin. He's taken it, thrown it as far as the east is from the west. He's cleansed you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's what Christ has done. And so because of all those things, because of that identity, now just live as an ambassador of Christ. 
It's not adding something else to the to-do list. It's just everywhere you go, just as you go, have a kingdom vision, a kingdom perspective for the ways God is moving, for what he's doing. Because look what he says in verse 20. God is making his appeal through us. You know what? I, I read that verse and I'm like, Jesus, are you sure that's the best plan? Are you sure that's the best plan? Because I'm a pretty big screw up in my life. I'm a pretty big sinner in my life. Are you sure we want to make the appeal through us? Is there no other better option? But the reason that's such a good plan is because it's not about us. Who gets the glory if we're desperate and dependent? Yeah, who gets the glory if we're weak and we're needy and we're just acknowledging, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. You're making me new. And now because we're desperate and dependent, because we're broken, because we're sinners, he gets the glory and he shines through us. His life overflows out of us. So Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's this moment by moment, daily process of just reconciling with God, waking up in the morning and saying, God, here I am. I'm weak. I'm needy. God, I'm desperate, independent, living just in this daily continual process of repentance back to God. See, salvation is something that we experience anew every single day in Jesus. God didn't save you for the moment when you died. He saves you now when you start eternal life now. And so the moment that you die is just a doorway. It's just a step into eternal life with him. But being reconciled to God means living in that, experiencing that new salvation every single day in Jesus. And so are you reconciled with him right now? Is there things that have gotten in the way, ways Satan is trying to tell you those half-truths that Drew talked about? Ways he's trying to distract you, ways he's trying to take you down different paths, and Christ is saying, come, be reconciled with me. Paul said, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look at what Christ has done. Look at what he's done. Look at the way he is moving, the way he's working, the way he's making all things new. Come, be reconciled with him. Because verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us, lived the life that we couldn't live, took on the, the wrath of God to accomplish salvation for us. So now in him, we're the righteousness of God. His righteousness covers us. He stands between us and the Father on our behalf. And now we just walk and live building relationships with people, opening up just moments where people can receive and hear the gospel. See, we're not trying to sell a message, but our goal is to reconcile a soul. We're not just trying to sell a message to people. We're not trying to get people to buy something. We're trying to reconcile their hearts and their souls, and that takes incarnational presence. That takes God sending us out into all these different cities, all these different neighborhoods, all these different soul, uh, schools and saying, I'm going to work and I'm going to move through you to reconcile souls back to my kingdom. But it's not dependent on you because you're really desperate. It's dependent on me. And so this is going to take time. This is going to take games of cornhole and it's going to take just opening up our homes, inviting neighbors and friends to come to dinners, to go paddleboarding, to go somewhere together. And just as you live life, wherever you go, Inviting others just to come and be a part of it. In those moments, watching, where's the spirit working? What's he doing? How is he moving? Because this is the way it works. This is what happens. You build these relationships with people. 
And what happens is that they experience Jesus through you. In your weakness, in your brokenness, they get a taste of the gospel and they see in you the hands and feet of Jesus. And these relationships lead to reflection in people's life. Lead to reflection in moments where people stop and think, who is God? Where did all this stuff come from? Does my life have purpose? And it leads them to reflection. And reflection leads to repentance in hearts. And that leads to reconciliation with God. This is what God wants to do with our lives. It's the most adventurous, joy-filled thing that's possible. Because Jesus is changing your heart, and he's changing your perspective. He's giving you this new vision for him and his kingdom. And so all of life is just living surrendered, saying, God, what are you inviting me into? Where are you moving? Where are you working? What are you doing? Let me come and be a part of that. Takes us just surrendering. A couple of implications from this. The first thing is just remember. Remember what Jesus has done in your life. Remember the ways that he is moving and really experience. He's making everything new. He's making everything new in your heart and in your life. He wants to come and put away the old self to be done with the old things, to invite you into this new life with him, this abundant life in him, a life of real joy that's actually and only in Jesus. Just go be with him this week. Go be with him. Take moments just to not try and get anything done, to not be distracted by anything, and just to be with Jesus in the reality that his spirit lives inside of you, that he is the one that is making you new. And then just watch. Just watch for places that God's already been moving, for seeds that he's already planted, for lives that he wants to reconcile back to himself. Just watch for those moments and places that God's doing that in your life. And then everywhere that we go now, we go and walk as an ambassador. A lot of times, It's behind the scenes. A lot of times you don't see any fruit for a long, long time. But you just remain faithful. God isn't calling us to be successful. He's just calling us to be faithful to what he's inviting us into. And so you can't lose in this. You can't lose because the score is one to zero, Jesus. And see, your stat sheet has nothing to do with your stats, but it's everything to do with Jesus' stats. He covers you. You're in him now. That's what he's done on the cross. That's what, he, that's what he's done when he reconciled you back to God. Now he's just sending us out. Go be a reconciler. Just trust in me. Just come and be with me. And now go as an ambassador everywhere you go. Watch and then step into what I'm inviting you into. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you rule and that you reign today. That you sit on the throne. So Jesus, we just want to take a moment and get off the throne of our own hearts. In all the little ways, God, that only you see and that you know, but we know we're there, we just confess. We just confess pride and we confess our own selfishness. We confess greed and we confess control and lack of trusting in you. 
God, we just confess ways that we want to be on the throne of our hearts. But Jesus, you died for us. You lived for us, God. You rose from the grave. You ascended for us. And so we just want to get off the throne of our hearts because of what you have done. That we know that there's truly only joy when you sit on the throne of our hearts. That there's only abundant life in you when you are there, Jesus. Jesus.